service. What is up, listeners? Welcome back to another episode of the Full Service Podcast. I am Tank Smith, your host. Today is episode 59. Thanks for being here. Shout out to my guest from last week, Eliza Eshin. Eliza, I appreciate you coming to the podcast. That was a lot of fun. If you have not yet, make sure you check out last week's episode and give Eliza a follow. She is on Twitter at Eliza underscore Eshin. I have a link to her Twitter, her website, and the Libsyn page from last week. So make sure you hit that Libsyn page. Show her some love. While you were there, ooh boy, we're on the old social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Full Service Pod. You can find me at Tank Funkadelic. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you are subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Ratings and reviews really do help for visibility for the podcast, so if you could, hit us with a five-star rating, write us a review, that would be so helpful. Today, episode 59, ooh boy, coming at you with a solo episode. It's been a while. I know uh, if you're new to the podcast, you're hearing solo episode, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, (laughs) Since the beginning of this podcast, it's basically been like, you know, two interviews solo, two interviews solo, and then I guess like in September, I was like, fuck it, we're just doing interviews. (laughs) But now I'm like, we gotta do a solo episode, I gotta let the people know what I've been up to, it's been a while, it's been like, I guess, yeah, the last solo episode I did was September 1st, and then I had like seven interviews in a row, so it feels good to be talking, I feel like, if you're, yeah, if you're new to the podcast, you never heard a solo episode, usually it's like me talking and then like laughing, I guess, like really talking and laughing is 50-50-50, that's how, (laughs) that's how a solo episode goes, but I appreciate you being here, if you're hearing this and you're like, god damn it, I wanted an interview, hey, we got lots of episodes, you know, and also plugged it in the outro of last week's episode, so uh, hey, it's not a surprise, but uh, I do appreciate you being here. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> what are we talking about today? I wanna, yeah, I wanted to give updates on what I've been up to. I got a new review, so I got to read that. It wouldn't also wouldn't be a solo episode if I didn't talk about the Lucky Devil Lounge Strip Club in Portland, Oregon. I feel like they get lots of lots of shoutouts on the podcast. They are bringing back their strip through. I'll uh, now talk about Patreon a little bit. We got a Patreon. We're gonna be starting. And the ACLU recently published an article, I think it came out like the 21st of October, so it's been like literally five days pushing for the decriminalization of sex work. So uh, lastly, I kind of wanted to look at that article. I will link it in the Libsyn page for this week, but it's a, it's a, it's a great article. Um, I think you should all read it. It's like, uh, like maybe like 17 pages, but uh, fucking, it has a lot of information and I'll kind of... Hopefully summarize this. I feel like I haven't done, uh, I was reading this and I'm like taking notes and I'm like, hey, let's, this feels a lot like high school right now, but uh, <laughs> we'll see if I can sum it up and uh, kind of give you all a, an overview that is helpful. Or <laughs> or you can just read the article and be like, Tank, summarize that terribly, but I'll do my best. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens. I'm uh, recording this on Monday, the 26th, which happens to be my birthday. Oh boy. I'm uh, 31, I turned at midnight, so uh, not really feeling any older, but uh, hey, we'll see uh, We'll see how I feel like tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to be like, God, 31 really hurts, you know, but uh, I feel good right now. Feel <laughs> If I have one birthday wish out there, like uh, I went to my parents yesterday and we went to my favorite Mexican restaurant, El Ranchero, uh, <laughs> where my parents are. And uh, they got me a cake, and I blew out candles, and my dad was like, did you make a wish? And I was like, are we still doing that? Are people still making birthday wishes when they blow out their candles? I completely forgot about it. 
But uh, if I had to say, if I had to, if I had to make a wish, you know, hey, I wish, hey, subscribe to the podcast, give us a five star rating, write us a review on Apple Podcasts, and uh, if you don't want to do that, hey, I'm at Tank Funkadelic on Venmo, and uh, dollar sign Tank Funkadelic on Cash App. Hey, if you want to donate any money to the unemployment cause, I would truly be appreciative. You know, that'd be <laughs> that would be incredibly amazing. It make me feel good. You know. So, hey, I will, I'll accept any money you want to give, but, uh, the more the better, okay? (laughs) I will stop, okay? (laughs) But no, I appreciate you being here. I, uh, recently got a new review on Apple Podcasts. I say this every week, but if you write a review on the pod, like, for the podcast, it does not have to be a good review. I will read it, just because I like reading reviews, and also, it gives you a chance to see how good my reading skills are. And uh, <laughs> it's always good practicing. Reading out loud is not really a skill you really use as an adult, I feel like. So <laughs> we'll see if we can do this. So the last review I got was on September 25th. Five-star review. I already like it already. And the title of... I guess not the title, but the username for the person that left the review is eggplant emoji, squirt emoji, eggplant emoji, squirt emoji, tongue emoji. Hey, I already like this. <laughs> that's the greatest username that's given given a review to the podcast yet. So uh, I feel like y'all got to get uh, <laughs> y'all got to get inventive with the usernames. But yeah, eggplant emoji, squirt, squirt, eggplant, squirt, mouth emoji. The title of the review is Tank is Amazing. Amazing in all caps. What the fuck? Do I know this person? Okay. Uh, Such a great gentleman and so much fun. You will not be disappointed at all. Hey, was this a review of the podcast or just personally a review on me? Either way, it feels good. But uh, I'm going to need some people to top that review. But hey, eggplant emoji, squirt, eggplant, squirt, mouth. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Hell yeah. (laughs) I uh, mentioned last, I guess in the last, last solo episode I did, I talked about the Lucky Devil Lounge, which is a strip club in Portland, Oregon. I've actually mentioned them in a few episodes because they were kind of the first people to create the strip through, which was basically a drive through strip club when uh, Portland, I guess when this entire country was hit by coronavirus, Portland closed uh, all the, or I guess Oregon closed all these strip clubs. And so Lucky Devil, they created a drive-through strip club, like basically put up a tent, put up railings, uh, space like so a car could drive through, put up like platforms and poles. You pay, drive through the strip through, get your pick up your food, and you get a song, you can tip people. Great thing, fucking amazing. But uh, it basically ended once the Oregon governor like basically allowed like bars and restaurants to reopen with people able to like go inside. So the strip through ended. And so I guess last episode I spoke to the person who actually put up the strip through for the lucky devil lounge. And they contacted me recently because they're actually doing it again. So this Thursday, Friday and Saturday at the lucky devil lounge in Portland, Oregon, the strip through is up. It's happening. <laughs> it's awesome. Let me uh, see. I'm checking my Instagram right now. So Thursday, October 29th, Friday the 30th, and uh, and Saturday the 31st in the parking lot of the Lucky Devil Lounge. 
Hell to Go Go, a hell themed drive through strip club Halloween experience. So if you're in Portland or really anywhere within a couple hours of Portland, yo, fucking go hit it up. Check it out. I'm sure it'll be a good time. Shout out to the dude, fucking strip through guy, for giving me the heads up so I could let the people know. You know, we got some people that are listening to podcasts in Oregon. So fucking go do that shit. It'll be a good time. Like I mentioned a second ago, we're starting a Patreon for the podcast. It's a great way to support the show. I'm not sure the exact date. I'm thinking probably around like two weeks, but it'll be like maybe like mid-November. But I'll keep you up to date on here as well as on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you're following us at Full Service Pod so you get any updates that we post for the podcast. But uh, it'll consist of interviews I've done in the past. I've never actually, like the second interview I ever did where I was moved literally from North Carolina to Georgia that day. I like did the interview and then literally left the hotel and drove to Georgia. So uh, I definitely will have that on there as well as I think I I had maybe like four or five interviews that I've done that I've never released. And I've spoken to a few friends that I've had on the podcast and I'll probably give people segments on Patreon as well. You won't be able to hear those here. We will still have new episodes every single Tuesday. But uh, the Patreon gives you an opportunity to support the show and also hear, like, brand new content that you won't be able to hear anywhere else. But, hey, oh, boy. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll keep you up to date on Twitter, on Instagram, on here as well. But uh, I'm excited for it. I hope uh, everybody who listens to podcasts enjoys it and uh, supports it. So that would be awesome. That would be <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> What have I been up to lately? I feel like, yeah, last time I sat down to record a solo episode, literally September 1st. So it's been like almost two months since then. I've been able to do stand-up for the first time. Holy shit. I I was looking earlier today because I was like, when's the fucking... So March 10th was basically the last time I did stand-up. And then I was able to get up, I guess, like October 3rd. And I looked it up and it was like 207 days without stand-up at all, which is fucking amazing. It's a, <laughs> I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, like if you started listening since like April, I guess, you're like, I mean, he says that he does stand-up comedy. There's really no evidence at all, but uh, I guess I'll believe him. I guess I'll believe him. Now it's back. I got up uh, October 3rd. And I had a show I've been plugging, I guess, the last, like, few weeks, which was the 18th uh, here in Atlanta. I was like, I got to fucking, I got to do some stand-up before <laughs> before this show because about, there's about to be a bunch of people. And I'm not trying to go bomb in front of 150 people. It never is a good feeling. But uh, So I was like, let me go up to North Carolina. It just actually so happened I, I did this, like, a YouTube thing, I guess, like, right at the beginning of October. But uh, I got I did like a Zoom meeting or I guess a Zoom like casting call, and after the uh, <laughs> during the Zoom meeting, they're like, "Hey, tell us about yourself, and uh, we'll kind of decide if you'll be right for a video or whatever." So in the meeting, I'm like, "Yeah, I'm Tank. I'm a comedian. I live in Atlanta. Currently unemployed. Oh boy." But, uh, you know, I used to live in Raleigh. I started doing stand-up there. I've been doing it like five years currently. I host a full-service podcast where I interview sex workers. And uh, as soon as I said sex workers, she was like, okay, next. Okay, thank you. Uh, So I was like, well, I feel like I'm not getting this. (laughs) I'm not going to be in a video. But they uh, hit me up, I guess, like right at the end of September. was like, hey, can you be in Greenville on, I guess, like October, maybe like 5th and 6th. So I drove up to Greenville. 
was there for a few days and literally as soon as we're walking into the uh building to shoot i guess we had to be there like noon on tuesday whatever maybe like the fifth i'm not fucking sure but yeah i had to be there on like tuesday at like noon so we pull in and uh i see one of my buddies that i did stand up with who works for the channel and he's like yeah bro it's canceled and i'm like ooh, <laughs> i just drove from atlanta for this uh, <laughs> but luckily you know i still had like stand-up dates uh so I hung out in greenville for a couple days and then i uh, went to raleigh so I guess I was in Raleigh for maybe like a week and then hit Charlotte on the way back down. But uh, it was crazy being like back in North Carolina. I know in Georgia, it seems like we're kind of the first state that kind of released, I guess, released restrictions on like, I guess, coronavirus shit. So, I mean, there's people that are still wearing masks in the Atlanta area, but plenty of people that are not wearing masks at all. And going up to North Carolina, just seeing how much more restricted it is, it's crazy. Like, I guess pretty much every place you go into, you have to have a mask on. Whereas in Atlanta, it's pretty much like, hey, coronavirus is over, baby. We doing what we want. So uh, that was kind of crazy to see. And then still downtown Raleigh. I'm not sure how it is now, but as of like a couple weeks ago, pretty much most of the businesses were still boarded up from the protests that happened, I guess, in like July a lot of business, most businesses were still closed and not really open at all, not even like offering like to-go food. So I was like, what the fuck? This is crazy. Literally walked down Fayetteville Street one night and like everything is closed. It's like a ghost zone. There's like no cops anywhere. I'm like, what the fuck? Let's put up some stickers. Um, Or maybe I just saw the stickers already there. But uh, it's fucking wild. But uh, also just being back in Raleigh, like I guess how like maybe like triggering, I guess is the word, but I guess that's where I started seeing sex workers pretty much. And I guess that's where I guess majority of my experiences were. So like going back into that environment, I don't feel that like pressure, I guess, living in Atlanta. I mean, I have done it a few times since I've been back, but like going to Raleigh, I'm like, Oh, I remember that, that happening there. I remember that happening there. And it's like almost like getting back into this feeling of, or like, not like pressure, but like, Oh, I kind of want to revert back to how everything was being in Raleigh. And uh, not having them, I didn't have, I don't have fucking money, so <laughs> that didn't happen. But it's it's so it's so weird being back in like a different environment and just like having like, I guess like weird stimuli happening and just like feelings like, oh man, I want to do this because this is what I did when I lived here, but I don't live here anymore. So it's it's just it's just a fucking weird feeling. But luckily, uh, going up there, I was able to do some stand up. I did like like I guess the week I was there, I did stand up like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then, like, Monday, which was cool. And then the show that happened on Monday, I was able to do, like, 20 minutes. I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> that opportunity, I guess, probably wouldn't happen in Atlanta for a while. So it's just nice to just know that you can do that after having not done, you know, stand-up for so long. Just, like, reading old jokes. And I'm like, is how does how does this go? Like, <laughs> I have a joke where uh, I'm like, yeah, I... Uh, my girlfriend brought home some edible lube the other night, and I was like, oh, hey, what, uh, I actually, I got Chinese takeout. Uh, how's this joke go? I'm like, you didn't have to buy edible lube when duck sauce comes free with this egg roll. What? How is, is that what I fucking really said? <laughs> I'm like, and then I fucked that egg roll. You call it duck sauce, I call it fuck sauce. God, what a terrible joke. <laughs> but at that point, you're just trying to, like, fill time and be like, oh, well, if it doesn't work, I don't, who fucking cares? But uh, it's nice being able to do stand-up. I feel like more sane, you know? I'm like, you just have, like, idea. You're like, I feel like that's funny, but do other people think that's funny? And just, like, 
being able to express that and then people fucking like laughing feels good. You know, you're not like a little less alone. So, uh, it's cool though. It's cool being back. So yeah, I did some stand up in Raleigh and, uh, I was in Charlotte for a couple of days, did a couple of interviews in Charlotte. So I'm excited for y'all to hear what's going to happen since, uh, during the break, I guess, of fucking solo episodes, but uh, <laughs> I'll actually be going to, I might be going up to North Carolina in a couple of days, maybe next week, I'm not really sure, but I'll be in like Panama City from the 7th to the 14th, so if you're in Panama City, if you are a sex worker, if you're a client, you want to meet up, do an interview, hey, let's fucking record, you know, I'm trying to get people from all over the country, so if you are in Florida, if you're close to Panama City, I will come, I have a microphone, all it, ta- all it literally takes is a fucking microphone and a laptop, we can make it happen, so uh, hit me up, fullservicepod at gmail.com, and we can record, we can make it happen, fuck yeah. I feel like I wanted to end today's episode discussing an article that was recently released by the ACLU entitled, Is Sex Work Decriminalization the Answer? The references they use in this article, they reference 57 different journal articles, 18 NGO reports, 7 government reports, and 1 law review. So at the beginning of the article, they're basically posed like 5 questions and they'll answer these questions, or I guess like attempt to answer these questions through the article. But it focuses basically on the effects of criminalization, legalization, and decriminalization on the sex industry, on sex work. Fucking great article. I will link it in the Libsyn page for this week. It's like 34 pages, but I feel like a lot of that at the end was, you know, it's a lot of like references. But uh, definitely interesting. Definitely check it out. Fucking, I feel like Peep Show could definitely... (laughs) I feel like that peep show could definitely do a better job than me fucking explaining it, but hey, let's fucking do it. So in the article, they pose five questions to readers. When you decriminalize sex work, how does it impact safety? When you decriminalize sex work, how does it affect health? When you decriminalize sex work, how does it impact financial stability? Which populations are most affected by the criminalization of sex work? And what is the relationship between sex work decriminalization and efforts to combat human trafficking? Let's look at the first question they pose. When you decriminalize sex work, how does it impact safety? So they have three kind of, I guess, subsections to this question. They have violence by clients, violence by police, and the inclination to report violent crime. So their research overwhelmingly suggests, I'm reading this straight from the article, That the criminalization of sex work, including the criminalization of buying but not the selling, which is basically what they have in Canada, it's known as the in-demand model or the Nordic model, which basically makes it illegal for the buyer, but you're able to sell sexual services. So you're allowed to be a sex worker, 100% legal, but the buying is what's illegal, still increases the risk of violence and threatens the safety of sex workers. They reference a study done in Baltimore where they interviewed 250 female sex workers and 22% of them reported physical or sexual violence by a client within the past three months. Research done in Canada and Norway that shows that targeting buyers or clients still has a harm on the safety of sex workers and their ability to negotiate their working conditions. So even when the like the client is like the stated target of police, sex workers are still at risk of violence from those same clients. Two Canadian studies showed that going moving from criminalization to the Nordic model, which is in place now, has not had any effect on the rates of violence from sex workers since buying the buying of services is still illegal. It's still illegal for the client to do that. Research does says suggest 
decriminalizing or legalizing sex work for both the buyer and seller may better help to protect sex workers from client violence. So they look at the Netherlands where they legalize prostitution basically through specific regulations and only in specifically designated like areas. There was a 30 to 40% decrease in sex crime citywide. They also reference a study done. I feel like I'm just going to be like, hey, there's another study. But there is a study done in Rhode Island. There was basically a loophole from 1980 to 2009 to where, like, indoor prostitution was decriminalized. They had, like, I think the word, like, outdoor was in the law. So indoor prostitution was technically 100% legal. It was decriminalized. There was a 30% decrease in reported rape offenses against sex workers post-decriminalization. And if you look at Nevada, where they have legalized brothels, it indicates that legalization entails higher regulation and scrutiny, resulting in a decreased risk of violence due to greater oversight, regulated negotiation systems, greater peer support from social networks, and more positive relations with law enforcement. In terms of violence by police, research shows that in heavily policed, criminalized context, including in-demand the Nordic model, sex workers are often physically or sexually coerced by police through threat of detention, violence, or extortion. Findings from a U.S. survey of online-based and street-based sex workers indicated that police violence was a real threat. When asked about their experiences doing sex work, one person responded, All of my worst experiences happened because of the police. There's a survey that was done which included 250 sex workers. It was put on by basically the Sex Workers Police Promoting Health and Risky Environment Study in Baltimore revealed that 78% had experiences at least one abusive encounter with the police. 78, fuck, that's three out of four people. In fact, an investigation led by the U.S. Department of Justice concluded that officers in the Baltimore Police Department forced sex workers to perform sexual acts to avoid arrest. In looking at the inclination to report violent crime, due to the historical discrimination and mistrust of the police and the risk of being arrested when sex work is criminalized, sex workers report crimes to police at low rates. In a study done in the Sacramento Valley of California, most sex workers indicated that they did not report violence to the police because of the fear that law enforcement would blame the sex workers themselves, a same fear that was reported by sex workers in Chicago and New York City. Furthermore, in this Baltimore study, police officers themselves expressed the views that violence was inevitable consequences of sex work and not worth addressing in a serious manner, and thus did not treat sex workers' victimization as legitimate. Fucked up. In a Canadian study, many Vancouver sex workers who had experienced workplace violence felt unable to access community health or social services due to the criminality of their profession. The study also found an association between the lack of access to those services and declining to report violence to the authorities. Similarly, in Northern Ireland, where they have the Nordic model, only a third of sex workers surveyed indicated that they would report a a crime to the police. So there is some existing research that suggests that decriminalization and legalization may remove the threat of arrest making sex workers feel more confident and safer reporting violent crimes. So they kind of look at, I guess, New Zealand in this context to where when they decriminalize sex work for both the buyer and the seller, it shows that due to, like, I guess, the removal or threat of arrest, sex workers felt more comfortable reporting violent crime and the relationship between sex workers and law enforcement improved dramatically. 
The next question they pose to readers, when you decriminalize sex work, how does it impact health? In this question, they look at HIV, STI, prevention and transmission, mental or psychological help, and access to health care. Their research shows a negative relationship between the criminalization of sex work and physical and mental health and finds that decriminalization combined with more targeted interventions can lead to greater access to health care and improved health. In terms of HIV, STI prevention and transmission, their research shows that criminalization negatively impacts HIV, STI prevention and increases the risk of transmission by limiting sex workers' screening and negotiation abilities, such as for condom use. Research also indicates that certain police practices related to enforcement of sex work criminalization may put sex workers and their clients at greater health risk. They did interviews with uh, sex workers in Sacramento, and it revealed that the threat and incidence of detention increased if sex workers had condoms in their possession, taken basically as an intent <laughs> or evidence to engage in prostitution, which is, I mean, that's, that's like if I had money on me and they're like, well, obviously you're going to use that money to buy weed. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Specifically, through decreases in sexual violence, police harassment, and unsafe work conditions, the study concluded that decriminalization could result in the prevention of over one-third, so they have 33 to 46% of projected HIV transmission among female sex workers between 2014 and 2024. In terms of mental health and access to health care, decriminalization or legalization shows a positive relationship in greater access to health care, such as STI testing, screening, emergency services, affordable health care, resulting in increased rates of health care utilization by sex workers. When you decriminalize sex work, how does it impact financial stability? Their research shows a negative relationship between criminalization of sex work and financial security and suggests that decriminalization can lead to more stable and higher income if and when sex work is seen under the law as a means of legitimate employment. Prohibitive laws and regulations on the purchase or sale of sex work lead to lower and less stable income for sex workers and thus a higher financial burden and potentially the inability to support themselves and their dependents. In the in-demand or Nordic model or fully criminalized context, criminalization has a disproportionately negative impact on the economic stability of sex workers compared to their clients who are more likely to be financially stable, less vulnerable to the cycles of incarceration or poverty. Risk of arrest, detention, and police and client violence are amplified for sex workers living in poverty who may be more likely to work on the streets as opposed to online, and therefore financial stability would not only increase their income, but their freedom and safety as well. The next question they pose to readers, which populations are most impacted by the criminalization of sex work? So their research shows that the specific populations that are disproportionately harmed when sex work is criminalized, the LGBTQ community, particular transgender women, people of color, and immigrants, uh, especially undocumented immigrants. One systematic review of data from six countries found restricted economic opportunities and lower access to the formal labor market for transgender sex workers due to stigma, discrimination, and lack of documentation within their gender. A study done in New Zealand reported that transgender respondents had difficulty finding another source of income due to the discrimination based on their identity and reported that sex work is one of the few options 
for livelihood and often their primary sole source of income. In studies done in New York City and Chicago of youth and young adults who engaged in survival sex work, many LGBTQ youth, particularly transgender youth, reported resulting to survival sex work after being kicked out of their homes for their sexual orientation or gender identity and or leaving unsafe environments. In terms of safety, transgender sex workers have to use means of physical protection for self-defense at higher rates than cisgender sex workers, according to this New York City study. In terms of health, access to health care, transgender women sex workers often face extra barriers in accessing health care, particularly gender-related, due to discrimination and stigma based both on their gender and occupation. They often face entry barriers specifically in terms of HIV testing and may be less inclined to access testing due to discrimination, stigma, and prior negative experiences. The criminalization of sex work coupled with stigmatization and discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity make LGBT sex workers even more likely to face detention and unequal access to health care. And looking at sex workers of color, in the U.S., people of color are disproportionately represented among police arrests, profiling, incarceration, and offenses related to sex work are no exception. One study done by the LAPD and city attorney found that black and Asian individuals were disproportionately arrested for prostitution-related offenses, and black people make up the majority of charges for assisting sex workers in prostitution. A study done in North Carolina showed that law enforcement tend to police street-based sex workers more predominantly involving non-white sex workers and more vigilant than indoor sex work. According to that same study, black females were arrested at higher rates for prostitution-related offenses than white females. The study done in New York City looking at youth and young adults engaged in survival sex work, multiracial, Latinx, and black young adults reported the highest experiences of trouble with police and their clients. In addition to LGBTQ sex workers and people of color sex workers, the article also shows that immigrant sex workers are also, also negatively impacted by the criminalization of sex work. According to a study, immigrant sex workers under Canada's in-demand law are more vulnerable police harassment than non-immigrant sex workers and are less likely to report violence to authorities as they are victimized due to already being criminalized and mistrust of police. Full criminalization and in-demand decriminalization exposes undocumented immigrant sex workers to heightened scrutiny and risk of detention and or deportation. Research shows that immigrant sex workers are often most vulnerable to displacement when clients are criminalized. The last question they pose to readers, what is the relationship between sex work decriminalization and efforts to combat human trafficking? Within this, they look at a couple things. They look at sex work decriminalization laws impact on human trafficking and anti-trafficking efforts, how that impacts sex workers. One thing they do note in this is that there is a lack of consensus in the literature about the relationship between legalization or decriminalization of sex work and human trafficking. Although they do note that whether sex work is decriminalized or legalized, human trafficking would still be illegal within that context. Furthermore, research done in the EU more broadly suggests that decriminalizing does not necessarily increase trafficking at all. 
There was a study done by the government of Northern Ireland when they implemented the in-demand model, which, like I said before, basically criminalizes the buyer, not the seller. And there was no clear or conclusive evidence on the impact of legislation on trafficking levels one way or the other. So them basically decriminalizing sex work for the seller has had no effect at all or no way for them to tell whether or not it affects trafficking one way or the other. Specifically, in the years following the implementation of the Nordic model in Northern Ireland, there were no additional prosecutions related to trafficking at all. One key study that they do reference suggests that legalizing sex work, specifically prostitution, is associated with increased trafficking rates. However, the, author, the authors of this study caution against using these findings to oppose decriminalization or legalization, given that their model does not account for the potential positive impacts, such as improved worker safety. In looking at anti-trafficking efforts and the impacts on sex workers, research points to adverse consequences of anti-trafficking laws on voluntary adult sex workers. In the U.S. context, studies on the role and regulation of online platforms provide evidence of the potential unintended harm of efforts limiting online solicitation to prevent trafficking. A study of data from 185 U.S. cities found that the use of the erotic services section of Craigslist correlated to lower rates of female homicides attributed to more efficient transactions and higher screening. Limiting access to these online forums displace workers to less safe and less public areas, increasing the risks of violence, reducing negotiating power, and increasing in clients' insistence on unprotected sex. In one survey of 262 sex workers that examined the short-term impacts of SESTA-FOSTA, sex workers reported having to place themselves into riskier situations with clients to make ends meet, enduring physical and or verbal threats, risking physical exploitation, and bypassing client screenings. In a more recent survey of 98 online-based and street-based sex workers, 99% of sex workers reported that SESTA-FOSTA did not make them feel safer, and in fact, many expressed direct negative impacts of the law, including loss of income leading to some homelessness and poverty, decreased access to screening tools and community support, and displacement from online to street-based solicitation. In summary of this article, the research points to negative impacts on the criminalization, on the physical safety, health, and financial well-being of sex workers with repercussions from clients seeking consensual sex between adults. The findings are only amplified when specifically examining the impact of criminalization on sex work on marginalized communities, including the LGBT community, people of color, and immigrants. People without adequate financial resources, such as those living in poverty, are also harmed by the criminalization of sex work. Overall, the evidence suggests that going from less to more prohibitive laws on adult consensual sex work is damaging to sex workers and appears to have little impact on curbing trafficking or other crimes. Conversely, as laws move down the continuum from more to less prohibitive on restrictive on consensual sex work, workers experience less harm and there is no strong evidence to indicate negative impacts on crime, health, or safety. The existing body of research indicates that full decriminalization of adult consensual sex work best supports the safety, health, and financial well-being of sex workers and can help curb the overuse of prison and jail systems that disproportionately punish sex workers from the most marginalized populations, such as transgender women of color.
The evidence reviewed indicates that while partial decriminalization, such as the in-demand model or the Nordic model, may provide some improvement to certain aspects of sex workers' experiences in comparison to full criminalization, but the continued criminalization of buyers under these policies puts sex workers at risk, both in terms of safety and financial security, and only exacerbates the problem of mass incarceration within the United States. Hey, we got through the article. Oh, boy. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I really appreciate it. Um, I have a link to this article. They actually, even at the end of this, they, I mean, I guess there's more to it. <laughs> there's a little bit more to the article, but that's basically the gist of it. But uh, they have suggestions on what they think governments could take to support sex workers, improve the lives of sex workers. So what I'll, I'll link uh, the website where they have this article you can download. It's like a PDF um, I definitely suggest fucking checking it out. I definitely learned a lot. Um, I hope you did too. I <laughs> we'll be back next Tuesday. Oh boy, I got an interview for you. I'm excited. My guest is Raleigh-based companion, sensual massage therapist, writer, life coach Freya Volva. We recorded, I guess, like a couple weeks ago when yeah, when I was in Raleigh. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. Fuck it. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Hope you enjoyed the solo episode. Hopefully we'll uh, make this happen a little bit more often. But uh, hey, I will. Hey, it's my birthday. <laughs> I keep forgetting. <laughs> Yo, Tank Funkadelic on Cash App or Venmo if you're trying to make me smile a little bit. But I uh, hope you have a great week. Thanks for sticking around. Fucking I'll see you on Tuesday. Later. service.